Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So chapter 4, it's a continuation of the, the warning and exhortation that the writer has started in chapter 3. He's, he's, he's begun with, look at this, look at this passage in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And he's encouraging them, don't follow their example. Don't don't do what they did. Don't go there. Don't go there in terms of, don't, don't turn your back on God. Don't rebel against him. Believe him and trust him. But we see in a sense that this, he's coming at them hard. He's coming hard at them. He's saying, this is a big deal. This is important. This is... Don't underestimate this. This is big. But there's an invitation here. There's an invitation in it and an encouragement. In all of it, he comes at them hard so they would see, look up and see how good it is. Look up and see how good God is. Don't miss out on anything that he has for you. Don't miss out on his rest. It's where we begin today, the promise of entering his rest still stands. He's continuing with this, uh, with this kind of, he's expounding that passage in Psalm 95. They were told because of their rebellion, they won't enter his rest. And so he's saying, look, today, if, 
if you hear his voice, don't copy them. Don't do what they did. What didn't they do? They didn't believe. They didn't believe. And so they hardened their hearts. Their hearts were hard. And ultimately what? They never entered his rest. And so, kind of in overview, what he's saying, no, you, instead, fix your thoughts on him. Jesus, our apostle and high priest, faithful, glorious. Don't be deceived by sin. Don't, don't get hardened. And therefore, enter his rest. How is it that we enter? We believe. We combine his words with faith. Verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it didn't combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed enter that rest. And again, he's coming at them hard with this. Look at this. Be careful. Let... The ESV puts it even more starkly. The NIV kind of dials it down. The ESV, let us fear, lest you fall, be, seen, be found to have fallen short. That's fear. Should we live in fear? Surely not. His perfect love drives out fear. But he's coming at them hard. What is it that he's calling us to fear? The reason why we wouldn't enter? Unbelief. Fear, unbelief. Don't, what is he saying? Don't go anywhere near it. In effect, it's like having a fear of being run over on the motorway. I'm pretty scared of being run over on, on the motorway, but do I live in terror? Do I live in fear of the motorway? No, I don't go and walk on the motorway. I don't go anywhere near the motorway. I might go on the motorway in my car, but I'm not going to walk there. He's saying, take this that seriously. Don't, don't go there. Don't, don't get dragged into thinking, oh, what, what if God isn't what he said he would? What, what if... No, believe him. Believe him. For we who have believed enter his rest. It's the big message of this whole passage. Believe him. Trust him. Fix your thoughts on him. It's by faith. In effect, it's the truth of the whole gospel. By faith. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. But what we hear of the Israelites in the desert, they rebelled, they didn't believe, they didn't combine what they heard with faith. They heard the truth. They heard the truth. God wanted to bring them in. He wanted to take them out of Egypt, bring them into the promised land. But they didn't combine what they heard with faith. So what is it? that they missed out on. They never entered his rest. They rebelled and so they wandered in the desert. So what? What is it? The promised land? The promised land. We could see that. That's, if we, look, we could see it just as part of the example. Yeah, okay, well this is the example you're teaching us. Don't be like our forefathers. They were being led to the promised land and they didn't get to the promised land because they disobeyed. That's right. But the right is clear in this passage. It goes beyond that. It goes so far beyond that. What does he say? Verse 1. The promise of entering his rest still stands. Verse 8. He goes, he goes and clears it up a bit more. For if Joshua had given them rest, see Joshua did bring them into the land. Joshua brought them into the land. 
But he didn't give them rest. He didn't bring them rest. And ultimately, verse 7, so God spoke again later through David. The rest is still there. The rest is still there for the people of God. It's not just the land. It's not... It's not really about the land at all. The example's there. Yes, that's where the people were going. That's where they were trying to come. That's where God was taking them. But it's bigger than that. What does it say? He looks to God. The writer looks to God and looks at his work at creation and then at the seventh day. So verse 3 to 5, the second half. God has said that they will never enter his rest, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again he says, they shall never enter my rest. It's about, it's about his rest. It's about coming into his rest. Genesis 2 tells us about that. Genesis 2, 1 and 2 echo what's just been said in Hebrews. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So what's the writer to the Hebrews saying? He's saying this is God's invitation. A promise that still stands to enter his rest. Not just a plot of land in the Middle East. Not just a place where the Israelites were going. He continues on again in verse 9 and 10 that there's a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. Like God's rest. A rest. A rest from our work. A rest from all the striving and searching and going. A rest from that. Is that just a, is that just a well... It's right, it's good advice, we should take a rest. Maybe one day a week. Make sure we sleep well. Take a break to be refreshed. It's good advice, it's, it's solid. It's, God, God provides that. But is that really what the author is getting at? There's, there's still a day off to be had. There's still a day off to be had once a week. Perhaps, No. What is he talking about? What is this rest that God is calling us into? Well, ultimately, ultimately we look forward to his rest in heaven. Ultimately, we look to where we are ultimately headed. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. It's our ultimate destination. Where the Israelites were headed for the promised land, it's true. That's where they were going. That's what God had promised to them. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to bring you in to the promised land. But as we've seen, his rest is so much more. It goes beyond the promised land. It's not, it's, not, it's not about the land. Joshua didn't give them rest. And God speaks again. The land does ultimately speak of the greater heavenly calling we have. As Jesus said, to the man on the cross beside him, the criminal beside him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's true. There's a true promised land for God's people. Place of God's ultimate reign forever, where he's enthroned with his people. The kingdom of God in full display 
and full glory. It's rest. It's where we're headed. But is that, it? Is that the message that he was trying to communicate to the Hebrews? Is that it? Is it basically this? Okay, you're under massive persecution. The Jews who, you used, to, who used to be your friends are saying that you've turned away and they're not happy with you. They're not happy at all. They're, they're persecuting you. The Romans seem to think you're to blame for everything and they're persecuting you. It's, it's, it's hard and it's horrible and it's tough. And we can't do anything about that and you're just going to have to grin and bear it. But remember, there is something good coming. Remember, in the future, it will be good. You'll be with him. It's so much better. Now, don't get me wrong, there is, there is massive truth in that. There is massive truth in the fact that we hold on to our hope of, our, of heaven. We hold on to the hope of what God has got for us in eternity. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. He looks at this. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what's seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. There's a sense that, yes, we're going, maybe you're going through, it's tough. But ultimately, what is it achieving? What are we, where are we headed? Look, keep your eyes up, see. It's rest that is to come. It's rest. Our ultimate eternal home. Yes. Revelation puts it like this. Look, Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So there is a level of seeing this. Look, look. In everything you're going through, in everything that is there, everything that is coming against you, look. What is coming? What is going to be in eternity? One day, every tear will be wiped away. Every, every sickness will go. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to that truth. But I believe there's more in this. This isn't just the writer saying, you've got to hold on. There's, there's something better coming. There's a sense in this, one day the kingdom will be in full. One day we will rest in his presence. We will be with him. We will be like him. Every tear will be gone. But God's kingdom is advancing now. God's kingdom is advancing now. So yes, we hope in the knowledge of the rest to come, but we live, we're also called to live in the good of his rest now. One day we'll be with him face to face, eternally before the King of Kings. But now we live in the good of it. What does he say? But we who have believed enter his rest. God's kingdom's advancing now. It's here. Now, let's go back to Psalm 95. This is what he's looking at. I'm going to go actually to Psalm 95. Not 
just the quote of it in Hebrews 3. Psalm 95 and verse, very end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, there are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. He reminds them of the story because the people rebelled. The people, particularly, they quarreled and they tested God. Or, as Psalm 95 puts it, they meribard and they massard, if you like. That's quarrelling and testing. But, but where was Meribah? Where was Massa? The people, the Hebrews would have known. This is what he's referring back to. This is what it's about. Meribah and Massa was the, was the name that Moses gave, or the names that Moses gave to a place called Rephidim. God led the people to Rephidim. And Rephidim means resting place. What God is showing the people, God was bringing the people rest in the desert. God was offering them his rest in the desert. They haven't got to the promised land yet, but he's saying, look, believe me, trust me, I'm providing for you. I am leading you on. I'm bringing you ultimately to the promised land. I'm going to bring you there. So here we are at Rephidim. A place of rest. And in some ways, understandably, the people are like, Rephidim? It doesn't look much like a Rephidim. It's a desert. There's no water. There's no... Moses, what is this all about? What's going on here? It's similar to later on when they, when they get to the edge of the land. God's saying, this is the land I am giving to you. Take it, it's yours. Ours? It doesn't look like it's ours. There's people here already. The big people. Big people here already. No, no, they're giants. Giants here already. Ours? It's not ours. It doesn't look like ours. No, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. But we can't beat them. No, I'm giving it to you. It's yours. Take it. It's yours. What's God teaching them? He's teaching them in the desert. Believe me. Believe me. It's not a case of ignoring what you see. The journey was one of resting in him, trusting him, knowing that God is trustworthy and true. God is faithful. Knowing his security and the rest of him and his rest. It's not about denying the facts. The fact was there was no water at Rephidim. But what was God calling them to? Trust me. Trust me. I am giving you rest. I've brought you to a place of rest. It doesn't look like a place of rest. It looks, it looks like a place where we're going to die. It looks like a place where we're going to, we, there's nothing for us. No, I'm with you. I am with you. Trust me. What's God saying? What's the writer to the Hebrews drawing us back to? Look, ultimately one day, We will be with him in heaven. We will experience everything. 
of what it means to be in his rest, to be with him. But now, now, we, he calls us to experience his rest, to experience his rest, his, the security of being in him, the security of him being our provider, of him being everything that we need. But the problem for the Israelites was the message was of no value to them because they didn't combine it with faith. So what's the call for us? And for the, for the, the Hebrews who were hearing the message, believe him. Believe him. We've heard from God. We know the truth of his gospel. We know the truth of that he is with us. Believe him. The writer of the Hebrew goes on. Make every effort. Make every effort. If I can find the verse. Hmm? Hebrews 4 verse 11. Thank you, Karis. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Again, he's coming at them hard. He's coming at them saying, come on, guys, look at this. This is so important. It's so wonderful. So what? So throw off everything else. So fix your thoughts on him. Yes, he has work for us to do. He has, he has things that we can do in his strength. But fundamentally, what are we called to? Rest in him. Rest in his finished work that Christ has done for us on the cross. <clears throat> to understand this is the rest that we have, that we're not striving to enter him, to enter into his grace. How can we strive to enter into his grace? In that, the sentence itself tells you how ridiculous that is. How can we strive to enter his grace? It is grace. Yet we press on in him. We, fully, we come to a point of fully understanding we can do nothing. We can put our trust in nothing else. Only that he has done it. That he has done it. And so in every situation, we see, we see the situation. We see, we, understand, we see it. It may be terrible it may be okay it may be hard but we choose and we keep choosing to keep putting our full trust in him that's what it means that we would dwell in his rest and that we dwell in his rest so that we might continue to press on into his rest to come we believe God we know his care his sovereignty his grace his miracles in our lives and so we press on Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's by him. It's all by him. And then, come to me. 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come and I will give you rest. But then what? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ultimately, we will find his rest. We will completely enter into his glorious rest in heaven. But now we have rest here today. But what is it? Is it just about laziness or collapsing in a heap and saying, oh, I need to rest, I need to, I need to rest? Or to try very hard, I'm going to keep going and going and going, and then I'm going to collapse in a heap and I need rest. Now, what does, what does Jesus say? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Because we can see it like that. We can see it like, I've got to try really hard and keep going and keep going and keep going. Then I can come back to God and be refreshed. And then I can keep going and keep going and keep trying very hard and then come back to God and be refreshed. What does Jesus say? Take up my yoke. We're not trying very hard on our own and then coming back and saying, I need to be refreshed. I need somehow to keep going and then trying very hard again on our own. Now don't get me wrong, God takes us through seasons, and there are times when we do, there's more of a, let's refresh ourselves in him, let's, let's, come, let's specifically come closer, come deeper into him. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, my rest is of living with me, living, taking up my yoke, walking with me, Walking with me. Doing everything in my strength. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And encouraging the Hebrews to take up this promise, to come in to his rest, to live in the rest of God. He's saying, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. Compromise looks really tempting, He says this, look, see what is best. See, yes, one day every tear will be gone. But now do everything in his strength. Come to him. Find his rest in every situation. And I believe through this passage he comes at them hard because he doesn't want them to miss out. He doesn't want them to miss out. Don't sit there settling for anything less. Yes, you've got the Romans on one side, the Jews on the other, and they're they're attacking. But find rest in him. Find your strength in him. And understand that actually what you have is greater than anything that is coming against you. There's that sense of, wake up. Can't you see 
what you've been brought into? Do you understand it? Do you understand the security and hope and rest that you can have in him? And he does come up them hard. At the end of the chapter, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Everything's before God. Everything is there. He sees everything. This is, it's important. And it's, it's, it's getting it. Look, God knows your heart. He knows. It. You can't just, you can't just be putting on a show. He knows your heart. But how does he resolve that? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens and on, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Of a God who sees everything but wants to give us help, wants to give us mercy, wants to give us grace and help in our time of need. So what's the call to us? We're to choose to believe him. Put all our trust in him. Believe his promises. I believe God wants us to see. He wants, he wants us to hear this kind of hard, wow, you're coming at them so hard. To understand, look how good God is. Believe what he has said. Understand what it is that he's done for us. He's brought us in by his grace, by the blood of Jesus. Let's walk with him, believing his promises. Just some of them. Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Romans 8, 28. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 1 John 4, verse 4. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Anne read earlier from Matthew chapter 6, I believe, about the, the birds and the flowers and, and... No, Matthew chapter 7, about asking, seeking and knocking. I've got them both next to each other. <laughs> we can come. We can ask. We can seek. Because he's good. He's faithful. We don't need to worry. I believe God today wants, wants us to believe him, wants us to, to know more of what it is to walk believing him, living in his strength, in his rest. And so in that, I believe God wants to strip away our self-reliance. Where does our hope come from? Is it in our ability to get things done? Is it security that comes from having a good job or having enough money that comes in? It doesn't matter whether it's a really well-paid job or, a, or whatever, jo- the money that we need. We've got it, so it's okay. Or having the home that you like. Even in, thing, even in our family. They're all good things. But is that where our hope is? 
Like Deborah was saying earlier, I believe God wants to strip away fear. Are we, are we scared of, actually, I'm not sure I can cope with this. Wants to strip away disappointment. Wants to strip away just a sense of weariness or tiredness. I don't know whether I can keep going with this. I don't know whether I can believe in a way maybe I did before. On self-reliance, wants to strip away that sense of I can manage. God very gently wants to say today, no, you can't. No, you can't. And it's right that you can't. Because in me, you are strong. Not on your own. And to strip away a sense of, will it ever change? Like that Matthew passage says, Matthew chapter 7, ask him. Come and ask. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. But trust him in it. Trust him in it. Tom, do you want to come back up? I'm going to close. I was preparing this just thinking, what does God have for us today? His rest for us, that we would dwell and push forward in his rest. And Nikki, Nikki said, oh, that sounds a bit like what Ginny said at the commitment evening, which I'd forgotten. Of course. Classic. I'm really good at retaining things. But I'm going to read it. It is. It was very encouraging to me, and I just believe this is something of what God wants to do. So I'm going to read. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. There's a time coming for an entering into rest. A season of newness, where quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And the empowering and anointing of the spirit will be a tangible feature in your life. Powerlessness will give way to his power. Many doors will open and many will be surprised by the suddenness of his call. Cords are about to be lengthened, reach is about to be extended and influence is about to be widened. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon them. Unless you become as a little child, you will not see. But the kingdom belongs to those who come to the Father like little children. It's a time for coming through to a childlike faith that accepts his ability to move on your behalf. Through this, there is a newness coming that will bring a new song in your heart, ushered in by a newfound trust and confidence in God that rests on his ability to work wonders through you by the power of his spirit working in you. No more striving within to see a day of wonders. No more assuming that you need to do on his behalf. A shift is coming. A realisation of the indwelling power of God to work miracles in your life. For through rest in him, he will do wonders among you. Can we stand together? We'll sing in just a second. I'm going to pray.